Last week we ended our study with the uh, looking at the foundation that the tabernacle sits on. We looked at the tabernacle and how it was set on silver. Every board, everything in the building of the tabernacle rested on silver. We looked at the three elements of the silver, which were the source of the silver, where it came from. The symbolism of the silver, which was the atonement of Jesus Christ. And you remember we reviewed how it was a temporary atonement, just as the uh, Bible says the blood of bull and goats could never take away sin. The silver was in the same category with that. And then we looked at the significance of the blood. And we closed with uh, pointing out how that the entire tabernacle, those boards are a symbolism of... Uh, the local church and that it rested upon the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this morning we'll look at the board. So if you'll take your Bible, open to Exodus chapter 26 and we'll read verses 15 through 30. Now we've looked at the uh, pictures that come from the tabernacle, the description of deity, the blueprint of the believer and the shadow of salvation. Uh, we've just looked at the foundation was set on solid silver. We looked at those elements, the source of the silver, the symbolism of the silver, that's atonement, the significance of the blood, that uh, without the shedding of precious blood, there would have been no atonement. So all of that is pictured in the tabernacle that we're studying today. Now I want us to look at the boards. Turn through Exodus chapter 26. This is the boards that constructed the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 26. Let's begin reading in verse number 15. And thou shalt make boards. Exodus 26, verse 15. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood, or acacia wood, standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubic and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons shall there be in one board, All right, let's move on to the boards that are used in the construction of the tabernacle. We've looked at the pictures that we find, that we're going to find as we go along in the tabernacle. We've looked at the foundation that it sits on. We looked at the elements of that silver, where it came from, what the source of it, the symbolism of it, the significance. Uh, the boards that are where Moses was instructed to cut and to use. Look in Exodus chapter 26. We begin reading in verse 15. Exodus 26 and verse 15. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood standing up. Again, that Achaia wood, very, very hard, well-known wood in that day and time. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubic and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons, that's the silver, it's the foundation of the tabernacle. Two tenons shall there be in one board. Just remember now, they're about 200 pounds apiece. They're silver and extremely valuable. But uh, Moses was instructed to set two tenons. There shall be in one board set in order one against another. Thus shall thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make the boards of the tabernacle, twenty boards on the south side southward, 
and thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, there shall be twenty boards, and there are forty sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board, and for the sides of the tabernacle westward, thou shalt make six boards, and two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides, and uh, they shall be coupled together beneath, and we'll, we'll let's stop our reading right there, we're going to get too so far ahead, we've got so much we want to cover. Uh, but I want you to see these boards picture a number of characteristics in the local church. They were used in the tabernacle that day. They were made after the tabernacle. It's in heaven, the true tabernacle. But they're a picture to you and I, and they point out some of the characteristics of the local church, like Eastside Baptist Church here in uh, 2015 in Memphis, Tennessee. I want us to see three things about those boards, and we'll make the application as we go along, because uh, we, we may make some reference to them in a future lesson, but I want to put them in place so you can see the picture. Uh, number one, let's look at the cutting of the boards. Uh, Moses had to cut trees down in order to make these boards and cut them the length, 10 cubics and a cubic and a half wide, and the thickness of it and everything, but they were cut down from trees. Now, tree, wood, in the scripture has always been symbolic of humanity. Uh, in this case, as in every case, it's a picture of humanity in two different ways. Number one, it pictures the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it identifies him with us being wood. It pictures his humanity. Uh, without going into a great theological discussion, I think all of you know, uh, I'm sure all of you know, that Jesus Christ, when he was made flesh and dwelt among us, he was uh, not half God, half man, part God, part man. He was all God and all man. Some people say he was very God of very God, and he was. He was very man of very man, and he was. And you say, Brother Ernest, explain that. I can't. But the Bible makes that emphatically clear. He was, he was all God as if he was no man, and he was all man as if he was no God, and he was combined into one. But this picture, these boards, they picture the humanity of Christ. They picture the human side, just like you and I. We have a humanity uh, about us. But it, it identified him with us. Later on, he talked about... Uh, uh, over in the Old over in the New Testament, he said, "Being tempted in all points, such as you were, he understood because he was very man of very man, all that you and I go through, and he was pictured in the Scripture as a tree. If you remember, over in Isaiah chapter fifty-three, two, most of you can quote it. He said he came up as what a root out of dry ground." It was a tree. He was pictured. It pictures the humanity of Jesus Christ. It also pictures the humanity of man. A tree does, and it just depends on the context that we're you're being studied in or taught in or whatever it is. But in Psalms chapter one, uh, it makes that very clear. 
Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Watch now. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So a tree, wood in the scriptures, pictures the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also pictures the humanity of you and I. Then there's a further picture in that. As these boards were made, trees had to be cut down. A tree cut down pictures fallen man, which all of us since the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden have, have fallen into sin. We've fallen out of God's grace. Uh, we were a tree planted innocently in the beginning. And then because sin entered in, and by one man sin entered in, sin passed upon all men, death passed upon all men. So a cut down, a cut down tree pictures a fallen man. And then a tree cut down, but then remade and stood back up. And you'll notice, uh, I didn't stop and emphasize the verse, but back over in Exodus 26 and verse 15, it says, And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of Shittim wood standing up. Uh, you can go over to the book of Romans, I believe it's Romans 14, 4, and it's talking about the same type of people, men, and it said, God has made them to stand. So these standing boards that surround the tabernacle, they picture a man that has been fallen, been bought, been redeemed, and been remade. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, who can quote that for me? I'm sure somebody can. Uh, for if any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the cutting of the board, it pictures humanity. It pictures man's humanity. It, teach, it pictures a fallen man. A man stood back up, remade. And then that's the cutting of the board. Let's look now at the covering of the boards. They, they go together. But uh, God said of these boards that they should cover them with gold. Uh, he made that uh, emphatically clear. Everything in this tabernacle was uh, made was covered with, covered with gold. Uh, if you want to look over in the same chapter there, Exodus chapter 26 and verse 29, he says, And thou shalt overlay the boards with gold, and make their rings of gold for places for the bars, and thou shalt overlay the bars with gold, and thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion where which was showed thee in the mount. So all of these boards that God instructed Moses to cut down, cut them ten, ten cubics long, cubic and a half wide, uh, they were to be covered with pure gold. And that pure gold that God covers us with pictures redeemed man, showing forth the glory of God of what grace can do for a fallen man that was a sinner, ungodly, on his way to hell, but yet through grace God redeemed him, remade him, stood him up, and now his one primary thing of the Christian life is to show forth the glory of God.
uh, that when we're remade, old things are passed away, you know, people ought to be able to look at us and really should be amazed. They should shake their head, particularly people that knew you in your past life before you got saved, and they come and they look at you and they get to know you now. We ought to be living a life in a way that causes them to marvel, to shake their head, even in mis un lack of understanding as to what happened in your life. But they know you're different. They know you have uh, at one time didn't care a thing about God. Now you love God and you show forth God's glory. I think a good picture is found over in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, and I pointed this out uh, a few weeks ago. I don't remember just how long ago, but I like the picture of it. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 12, it says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I like to think of it that God took each one of you in here this morning. And when you trusted Christ, God coated you in that uh, beautiful gold coating that comes through his grace. And it shows what the grace of God can do for a lost sinner. And as God covered you and me in that pure gold, and it, like he set us in a trophy case, like you see in colleges and, and high schools where they win trophies for uh, excelling in a certain sport or whatever it might be that they're, the trophy is being awarded for, but this is a trophy of grace. And it's like God put you and me in his trophy case and puts us on display for the world to see that we would show forth the glory of God and that we would show forth what the grace of God can do for a lost, hell-bound sinner. Again, the world ought to marvel as they look at my life and your life. And uh, I, hope you'll, I hope you'll realize the seriousness of that. You and I ought to live our life for the glory of God. And it ought to be clear to everybody that we come in contact with that we're different. God has done something different that uh, they don't understand. All right, we've looked at the cutting of the boards. We've looked at the covering of the boards. Uh, let me point out again, because we're going to get to another lesson where this is going to be vitally, vitally important. These boards picture the humanity of Jesus Christ, that 100% very man of very man, those three-something years that he lived here on earth. He lived in a body of flesh exactly like you and I live in. He was very God of very God, but he had two totally complete natures. We're going to get back to that, and it's going to be tremendous. But we've looked at the cutting of the boards. We've looked at the covering of the boards. Let's look at the configuration of the boards. Exodus 26, verse 19, we've already read that, uh, but we'll read it real quickly again. It says that now shall make 40 sockets of silver under the 20 boards. Two sockets. Now there's no other explanation of this except what I'm fixing to share with you. Uh, one of those sockets of silver that was uh, weighed about 200 pounds would have been sufficient and more for that one board to stand on that was a foot and a half wide. But now watch what God says in verse 19, And thou shalt make forty sockets, and there's only twenty boards, keep that in mind. Thou shalt make forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons, 
and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And God repeated that as he went all the way through the entire. Now, what is that picture for you and I? Look again, I pointed this out a while ago. Inside of this outer court, where all of this linen curtain is scattered around, uh, the entire tabernacle does what? It sits on a dirt floor. What does that dirt floor picture to you and I? It pictures the world that we live in. We live in a dirty world. And that's a picture of the world that you and I, even though we're born again, covered in the grace of God, we still live and walk every day in a dirty world. But when God saved us and redeemed us and atoned us, he made it clear to Moses that each one of those boards, those boards were a picture of every member of the local New Testament church. And he said, those boards are to be set on two tenons. Now, what does that teach us? It teaches us that a Christian ought not to live their Christian life with one foot on the atonement of Jesus Christ's blood, should not live with one foot serving God, living for God, and the other foot on the dirt, living and enjoying the world. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. You're familiar with the verse, but it's spelled out very clearly in this verse. God says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So do you see what that's pictured there where he set the boards, those individual boards are characteristic and picture the believers in, in the local church? We're to have both feet serving God. We're to have both feet. We're not to serve God on Sunday and enjoy the world on Monday. We live, we, enjoy, we, we live in the world, we have to live in the world, we have to walk in the world, but we don't have to get out and participate and take a part and... Uh, try to serve our flesh during the week and just serve God on Sunday. God, in every board there, he said, you be sure they're sitting on two tenons, both feet, grounded on the atonement of Jesus Christ. And again, it's done by God's power. Romans 14, 4 said, God is able to make them stand. But you and I are not to be standing on the desert floor. We're to be standing on the atonement and the grace of God that God pictures here in this tabernacle. We're no longer rooted in the earth. We're no longer, you know, the scripture says, we're in this world, but we are not of this world. Now, let me point out one more thing before we bring this to a close. We've got just a couple of minutes. Uh, did you notice that all of these boards around all three sides of this tabernacle they're all the exact same length and width. They all stand side by side. There are no difference between any of these boards from one board to the other board. You say, well, Brother Ernest, what's that picture? It pictures in the local church, like you and I are here in Eastside Baptist Church, it pictures that every person in this church is as equally important and necessary 
as every other person in the church. Now, I gave this illustration before. I've used myself. I've used Brother Cutshaw. But, uh, you know, people are prone to think. Sometimes people are. The well, Brother Gambrell, he's up there behind the lectern, and he's teaching. You know, boy, he's important. No, I'm not any more important than you are. I painted this picture. How important would I be if I came in here on Sunday morning and I stood up here for 45 minutes and taught, taught a class and there wasn't any of you sitting out here in these chairs around these tables being taught and prepared for the ministry? Uh, my importance would go away pretty quick. And uh, the same is true with Brother Cutshaw, and he said so from the pulpit. He's a pastor by the grace of God. That's God's sovereign gift to him. God gifted him to be a pastor. And uh, he's gifted to that, but he would not, his importance would cease to be if he came in here and preached on Sunday morning and there was nobody sitting out there in the congregation. And you know, if you want to go over, we're not going to this morning, but if you want to go over to the book of Corinthians and uh, you want to read over those verses, and we'll look at that later on in, a, in a, the next lesson that we study about the connection of those boards together. But uh, you remember we studied the gifts of the Spirit a couple of years ago over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And God made it clear those people, those men that have gifts that seemingly are not as important, they're not as visual. Let me just turn over and read it real quick so that we won't be any mistakes about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Y'all should have known better than that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's skip down to verse 22. Let's skip start at 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. Yea, much more these members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacketh, that there should be no schism in the body. That tells us that every person sitting in this room this morning is equally important. We've got people sitting here, Alan Young uh, plays a part in this class, uh, Billy Bailey takes a part in this class, uh, Beverly uh, Cartwright uh, takes a part in this class preparing these, uh, printing off these lessons, getting them ready for us every Sunday morning. In some way or another, everyone in here is, is equally important. You're just as important to this class as I am. Uh, you're just as important to this class as Alan Young or Beverly or Billy Bailey. We all fit together. We stand side by side. And I desperately need you in order for this class to be pleasing to God and be successful and be profitable. And you need me and we need each other. And if we could ever get Eastside Baptist Church to function with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if everyone could understand and uh, really be motivated by the gift that God gave them and we all cooperate together, we'd still be amazed at what God could get done in this world. 
just with the few people that's here in this class this morning. There was a time when God sent 10 men and said the world had turned them upside down. Uh, that could be said again if we'd function like God wanted us to function. Standing side by side, standing up by the power of God, realizing that it's vitally important. If one person in this church does not do and function the gift that God gave them, the entire body in one way or another is affected. Before we close, I want you to do this. Don't do it out loud. But just in the quietness of your own heart, you say, I'm important. Let God make it real to you. You're important. Say to yourself, I'm needed. I'm necessary. I'm a vital part of the function of Eastside Baptist Church. I'm important to the cause of Christ. I'm just as important as every other member of this church, regardless of who they are or what position they have. We're all where we are by the sovereign will of God, and every member of this class and this church is vitally important and vitally necessary. Now one class, last closing section, we've looked at the cutting of the boards, the covering of the boards, the configuring of the boards. Let's look at the connection of the boards. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 26, Exodus chapter 26 and verse 26. It explains to us how these boards are all tied together. And thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, five for the boards on the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the board shall reach from end to end. And thou shalt overlay the boards with gold and make their rings of gold for, place, for places for the bars and thou shalt overlay the bars with gold, and thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion that it was showed thee in the mount. So it explains to us how these bars are tied together. From all the studying I can do, and from seemingly what we put together in the scripture, God told Moses to make five bars, five for the north side, five for the south side, five for the west side. There were four of those bars on the outside of the tabernacle, and verse number 28 says, and the middle bar in the midst of the boards shall reach from end to end. From everybody I've studied, the people that are Greek scholars, it says that picture, one bar being on the inside, and you can see here in the picture that we have up on the uh, overhead projector, they pictured it that way. But they're all connected together. Just try to imagine if Moses had have stood these boards up on these silver tendons, uh, foot pieces, and put them end to end, and uh, just let them kind of prop each other up there uh, and balance them more or less on those uh, north side, south side, and the west side. What would have happened if a wind had have come up, a storm had have come up, or anything out there in the middle of that Sinai Desert. It would have blown those boards all down, scattered them everywhere. 
but God gave him instructions to make these five round bars and put them uh, on four on the outside and one on the inside. Now I've got them put together with just one gold painted ring on the outside, but the instructions, and we'll look at it in another place when we get to it later in another lesson. Uh, he was instructed to put two into each board to put those long bars from one end of the tabernacle siding to the other end and put two gold rings to each board attaching them so that they're firmly and securely attached uh, to each one of those boards. Now I just put one in there because I was a little bit concerned about getting out on the edges and splitting the board and I didn't want to do that. I thought it'd be better just to explain to you that even though I've got one in here, the scripture said there was two that was placed in each board and they're placed around each of the five bars the four on the outside and the one on the inside and uh, you said brother Ernest what is that picture it tells us that Christianity in a local church is not a lone ranger type of religion uh, in the local church today if we all just stood individually and we weren't supportive of one another and something happened that stirred up a storm inside of our local church and all of you have seen this or know something about this it can tear a church apart it can wreck a church and you got boards going everywhere some leave go here others lay on the ground others never get back up never serve god never do anything so God tied these tabernacle boards that are a picture and their characteristics of what the New Testament local church would be like when it was established in the New Testament. And we've got those five boards and every one of us here today in this class and in this church, we're all in the universal body of Christ. But as far as a local church, a local church like Eastside Baptist Church, We've got five bars that picture here that tie you and I together to where we support each other when the winds, storm winds blow or the rains come or the hills come or whatever kind of storm comes. We are all tied together. We've got these five bars that tie us together. Somebody tell me, what's the number five in Scripture? What does numerology number five means? Five is the number of grace. And you and I are to be bonded together and support one another by the grace of God and by the strength of God. And it's pictured here in these bars, just as we were talking about earlier in the configuration of the boards uh, and the length of them. We're all important. Every person in this room today is just as important as any other person. Brother, we are by the will of God. This is God's will. We are to make this a priority. I'm to support you, and you're to support me. And when one member suffers, we're all to get yoked up with that member to encourage them, to help them. If they're going through problems, if they're going through trials, God said you're all supportive of one another. You're banded together by five gold bars of grace. And we are to help one another and strengthen one another. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21. Well, first, let's look, in, let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, and God pictures that again. Again, this is referring back to the tabernacle. 
1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God made it emphatically clear that we are to be supportive of one another. Now turn over to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's read a couple of verses there. Or one verse, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 21. Ephesians 2 and verse 21, Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Again, let's let's uh, let's back up to verse twenty, so you can see a little better picture of the tabernacle, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's a picture of the local church. Now, each one of us are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but we come together and meet together as a, per, as a, as a group, as a church, on the first day of every week. And we're supposed to be rightly fitted together into a holy temple, builded together for a habitation of God, supporting one another, holding each other up, bound together by the grace of God. Uh, I believe very possibly I can't prove this, but I think it fits the picture. Uh, I believe God has given us the names of those five bars. If you turn the page over to Ephesians, or just look on the next page, Ephesians chapter 4. Look down in verse 11. Talk about the local church and the gifts that... Uh, Jesus Christ gave to the body of Christ. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Those are five categories of the ministry. Now, there's no apostles and prophets today, but they have done their part and they still do their part because we can go back and read and study and learn from them. Then some apostles, the three that's active today, some evangelists, now, this is not derogatory. Don't take it as derogatory. But we use the word today, evangelist, like a man that goes around and preaches revival meetings. That's more rightly described as an itinerary preacher. An evangelist in the New Testament, you, you, nobody's ever found the word missionary in the New Testament. The evangelist was a church planner. He didn't just go preach a meeting and then move on somewhere else. An evangelist in New Testament doing the work of an evangelist, Paul said. He went to a place, he preached the gospel, he established a church. That's what we send missionaries out today. That's the work of the church. That's one of those five bars that tie us together. And then he gave some pastors and some teachers. And why did he give? What's the purpose of all of this being bound together with the people that have gifts of these five things that we profit from today? for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect man unto the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ.
we'll end our reading there. But uh, I hope you see the picture. You and I are supposed to be bound together with one another here at Eastside Baptist Church. We're to support. We're to stabilize. We're to build a strong church by being bound together as one. And again, we could go again to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've looked at that already. I can't close without emphasizing this again. Every one of you sitting in this room are vitally important to Eastside Baptist Church. You're necessary. This church cannot function 100% effective if only one member does not do their part and exercise the gift that God gives them. My friend, you are important. God help us to be what God wants us to be here at Eastside Baptist Church. Now we'll move on to the last section in this study before we go back and begin to study all of the individual pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. But let's close by looking quickly, and it'll be brief because we're going to cover this in great detail later on in our study several weeks from now. But I want us to at least get a picture and uh, have it in our mind, the coverings of the tabernacle. You can see here I've got four coverings made. Uh, now, they're not exactly according to the scriptures. I just didn't have the means in order to do that. But uh, we're going to start just quickly from the inside. The coverings are seen from the inside, and they're, they're given to us from the scripture on the inside. But the first covering contained four different colors. It contained white, blue, purple, and scarlet. Uh, if you look in verse 26, I'm sorry, not verse 26, Exodus chapter 26, and look in verse number 1. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work shall thou make them. Now we'll end our reading there because we'll get into the details like I said in another letter, another lesson. But that is a, uh, the, the four colors all stand for something and uh, they'll come real to us as we get on through the lessons later on and start studying that. But the, the white in the coloring that it was all woven together, and I, this is just something that I put together with the four colors. It's not anything like the true coloring was in the tabernacle, but uh, I had to do something. I hope you understand that. But uh, the white stands for the fine linen. The white, the fine linen stands for purity and cleanliness and righteousness. If you look in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8, that's one of the verses that tell us about the what the white linen stands for. It says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. We're talking about the the, the saved, the wife of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. I've just given that color a name. It's not necessarily something we take out of Scripture, but pictures Christ our sin bearer. He took our sin, left us with the righteousness of God. The Scripture says we are declared to be righteous. Then the second color is blue. That stands for Christ in his heavenly situation or heavenly uh, personality, and I've named that as Christ's sonship. Then the third color is purple. That stands for royal. That speaks of Christ, our sovereign God. 
uh, our royal God in every aspect. He's sovereign in our life. He gave us a free will. He doesn't override that. He could if he wanted to, but he's sovereign. And then the scarlet, which means red. Even the word Adam meant red, ready, red or ruddy. But that speaks of the blood, and that speaks of Christ our sacrifice. Now, these four colors, we'll look at it in detail, but just to make quick mention of them, these four colors are broken down into the four Gospels, and they're pictured for us in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Matthew presents to us Jesus Christ as King of the Jews, and uh, that's spoken of as purple, his royalty. Mark, the book of Mark covers uh, Christ as the suffering Savior, suffering servant. And that's pictured in the scarlet coloring that we have in this first uh, curtain that goes over the tabernacle. Luke speaks of him as the virgin-born son of God, and that's representative or equality symbolist with the white. And then John presents him as the Lord of heaven. And that's symbolized by the blue coloring. Then it was had in cherubims embroidery throughout it. Uh, we don't have any idea exactly what they looked like. They were done in gold. But apparently it was covered with cherubims that were all woven into this four-colored curtain. And that speaks of the holiness of God. Then the second covering is found in Exodus chapter 26 and verse 7. And thou shalt make curtains of goat hairs to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. And it puts together the links, how they're pieced together. But the, the goat hairs, the wild goat hairs was black when they were cut and woven together and everything. And that speaks of our sin. And uh, then the next covering that we have. Uh, that speaks of Christ, our sin bearer, how he bore our sins. And then the third covering that we find in the tabernacle, we found that in Exodus chapter 26 and verse 14. says, And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skin dyed red. What does that teach us or picture us or what is the symbol of it? That is, speaks of the blood of Christ that covers our sin that can't be seen. I remember reading about a little boy in a Sunday school class. Somebody, had, the teacher asked the question, says, is there anything God can't do? And the little boy raised his hand. And he said, yes, he can't see our sins through the blood of Christ. So we thank God and rejoice in that. But the, our black sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then the fourth covering is also found in verse 14. It says, and a covering above the outer covering of badger skin. It was not dyed. It was not picturesque. As you can see right here, this is a true just piece of skin. I don't know that it's a badger skin. But it was put on the outside. It covered up all of the colors and the beauty that were on the inside. And as people of the world walked by and looked at it, they shook their head and said, I don't see what anybody sees in Christianity, in the church, in Jesus Christ. It just looks like an old, ragged, rugged, dirty piece of brown badger skin. You know, people don't understand what it means to you and I today, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, uh, what it means to be a Christian. They'll never understand that until they come inside. And uh, they'll be inside of one of the most beautiful buildings that's ever been constructed with gold and silver and all the beautiful colors that's on the inside. 
but uh, the outside skin peaks, speaks of Christ in, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 through 5. We won't turn there, but it says he was our suffering servant. You'll recall we've quoted this verse several times. There was nothing in him. There was no beauty in him to be desired. And that's what the world sees when they look at the church and when they look at Christians. They see nothing but the outside covering and they never understand until they go through the one process, repenting of their sins, receiving Jesus Christ into their heart as Savior. And all of you can remember that by the back to that day. All of a sudden, everything just changes and we start to see the beauty of Christ and the joy of having our sins forgiven and knowing that our name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. So that will conclude our lesson today. Uh, we will start back again next week. We're going to start with the uh, seven pieces of furniture. We'll be at least one, possibly two weeks on each one of those pieces of furniture so that we can fully understand it. But that gives us an overall picture with some details about what each part of the tabernacle is symbolistic of so that we can have a better understanding. I think we'll see a better picture uh, now that we have an overview. So let's bow our heads and we'll close in prayer.